And the scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from John chapter 6. John chapter 6, the verses 30 to 59. We'll take this in connection with the word of God as summarized in Lord's Day 29, speaking about the assurance that we are brought through our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 30. Jesus himself has just finished feeding the 5,000, and he has encouraged his people, don't labor for food which perishes, but food which endures to eternal life, to everlasting life and has called them to faith. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent, to believe in him. Then we come to verse 30, where the crowds respond to him. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So we'll be focusing specifically on the promises that come in the verses 54 to 59 here. Also in light of the Lord's days, the Lord's day that we'll be looking at, Lord's Day 29. And you'll be able to follow along on page 544 of your book of praise. Are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of the sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, and this is the portion we'll be focusing on today, the portion of this day, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we had personally suffered and paid for our sins. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we live in a day and age in which everybody is watching what they take in. Fewer unhealthy fats, less white sugar, less processed food. And as time goes on, we're getting a clearer understanding of what kind of food is good for you and what kind of food you should eat a bit less of. There can be times when people go overboard with this, yet in general these things do keep you healthier. And as such, it's not a bad thing to think about. God has entrusted our bodies into our care, so we should be careful what we put into them. We ought to take care of our bodies. But what about what we take in spiritually? What is our spiritual food and drink? If we think about what goes into our mouths and we want to take care of our bodies, Ought we not to do the same with our heart, soul, and mind? 
Jesus teaches us that it is important. And he does so through these words, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. He is teaching you to take in or consume the living bread. He's teaching you that what you take in matters. I bring you the word of God today under the following theme. Christ wants to assure you by what you consume. So what happened just before this? Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. You can see that in verses 1 to 14 of John chapter 6. That was the day before. He had done something incredible. He had provided food for their physical hunger. It was clear that this was a miracle provided for by God. The Jews would have been aware of this. They knew their history well. Miraculous food, miraculous bread. This would immediately bring their minds back to their forefathers during the days of their desert wanderings. Manna was the bread of heaven that was miraculously given to the people of Israel when they as a nation lived in the desert. This was after they had been led out from Egypt, but before they entered into the promised land. Manna was a genuine gift from God. And it let them survive in a harsh desert environment. God provided. The people reflecting on what happened the day before would have been wondering, is this the same? Was God going to provide in a new way physically for his people? And they asked Jesus, are you going to provide bread again? They were wondering, is this bread from heaven going to be a regular occurrence? Jesus said, no. If they're only focusing on the physical bread, then they're missing the point. And to refocus his people, he says those words. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. What was Jesus bringing to mind with this language. Well, let's provide a little bit of context so that we can make sense of it. Jesus is expanding on what God had said to his people when they were in the desert. Consider these words from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 3. God had said to his people, You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He fed you that you may know That man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus was pointing out that manna was always meant only to provide a picture of God's word, of God's truth coming down from heaven. Now, at this point, I want you to think back within the context of this particular gospel. 
Think about what the Apostle John has written about Jesus in chapter 1 of his gospel. What did John describe Jesus as? The Word of God who made his dwelling among us. The Word of God who came down from heaven. In Deuteronomy 8, God uses the language, don't eat bread alone, eat the truth of God. Or more simply, don't live by bread alone, but live by the truth of God. Now Jesus is building on that, saying, I am the truth of God. I am the word of God incarnate. I came down from heaven. Don't let the bread that I fed you with distract you. Have a Deuteronomy 8 point of view. Don't live by bread alone, but eat the truth of God, the truth that you find in Jesus Christ. And what is that truth? He unpacks that truth in the verses that follow. For those who follow Jesus, he gives us the following three promises to give us assurance. He grants us salvation through himself. And within the framework of that salvation, he gives us these three promises. Verse 54, I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 55, we remain in him and he in us. And verse 58, he will live forever. So it begins with that first promise. Those who believe in Jesus Christ and who follow him will be raised on that last day. This is a reminder. You are a new people in Christ with a new destination and new priorities. You have a hope for something that's beyond this world. So what's the opposite of that truth? On Reddit, on Facebook, or on other forms of social media, and in our world today, you'll get this theme time and time again. This world is all you've got. Live for today. What you're doing there as you consume this time and time again is not consuming truth, but consuming lies. When you run into limitations on this, in this world, and when things get tough, those lies can become overwhelming. This world is all you've got. Live for today. You start thinking within that framework, I'm not taking those holidays because I can't afford them. I'm not getting those toys or that bigger house or the next iPhone because I can't afford it. I'm not traveling because of COVID and these years of my life are just rapidly slipping away. This life is all that there is and I'm not able to make the most of it. Also, when we find ourselves in the midst of just day-to-day -day life, what we see on there can stress us out and give us anxiety. Often what social media does for us is hold out in front of us what we're not doing. Telling us that we're not living up to our potential because we're not doing those things those other moms are doing. Even though we might be doing perfectly fine at home. 
We're not experiencing all that we can experience with our families, even if we're living a life that's far beyond what even our parents lived already. And it can feed a constant fear that opportunities and that this life is just slipping away because there's not enough time. Here, Jesus is grounding us. He's granting us assurance. He's granting us a promise. This life is not all that there is. Be faithful where you are. Don't worry about all of that. Remember the truth. You have eternity ahead. Live in light of the eternity that Christ has bought for you. Focus on being faithful in the moment with what you have here rather than seeing what might be out there. And in light of that promise, rest on that. I will raise him up on the last day. The second question that arises then is, okay, but what about between now and then? How can I know that this life isn't all I've got? Because maybe I'll just find at the end of days that all my efforts to be faithful have been for nothing. Jesus speaks to that too. It's not about our own personal efforts. When you consume truth, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and rest on Him as everything that you need in this world, your life is tied to Jesus. With this language, He's clearly pointing ahead to His sacrifice on the cross. With that sacrifice, you can say, as our catechism puts it, I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me. We will remain in him and he in us. Verse 55. The lies that this world tries to feed you through what you consume is that it's all for nothing. Increasingly on TV shows that are put out by major corporations like Amazon Prime and Netflix and movies put out by Hollywood, they will tell you that being religious, being faithful, loving God is pointless and that anyone who is religious is a hypocrite and that you are all alone. You'll only be truly free and have friendship and enjoy life if you cut loose from all of that and live your own life. Get rid of religion. It's actually staggering how open they are becoming with that. More and more. And the more that we consume a steady diet of just those lies, the more we'll be shaken. It's not a question of if, but when, if that's the only thing that we consume. But in contrast with that, Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no. We remain in him and he in us between the cradle and the grave. You know that there will be times and days when you do slide back. 
There will be days when maybe you do find yourself not living in alignment with Christ's values. You're living hypocritically. There will be days when you find yourself on your knees asking God for forgiveness once again. But that doesn't make all of those other things that you consume right. Jesus promises this to those who come to him. I am with you. We remain in him and he in us. His flesh and his blood that he speaks of point to the sacrifice that he paid for you. You belong to him and he's not going to let go of you so easily. What about this life? Will it be all of this is for nothing in the end? Will I find out that all of my efforts to remain faithful, because of that even though I've had all of these efforts to remain faithful, he's going to reject me in the end, and I may as well have been doing whatever my sinful heart desired all along? No. No. He has already been the perfectly faithful one. And his faithfulness has bound us to him. It's on the basis of his faithfulness that we'll be carried through. Because, again, verse 55, we remain in him and he in us. That is his promise for all who look to him in faith. The second promise also leads to the comfort of the third promise. So in the first promise, he said, you will live forever. In the second promise, he said, we will remain in him and he in us. So between now and then, we can rest assured that his faithfulness will keep us bound to him and we can have that hope for the future. And what follows out of that second promise is that third promise. If we know that he is going to remain in us and with us, and we feed on that truth, we let it nourish our souls, then we can also be assured of the truth of that final promise found in verse 58. He will live forever. In this one, it's our own soul quite often that convicts and challenges us. Okay, Jesus will be with me through life. But when we stand before the judge, what then? Our own conscience, as our catechism reminds us, will continue to accuse us. Constantly accuse us. And our fallen nature will lead us to doubt that what God supplies is enough. That Jesus' sacrifice was enough. But for those who keep on consuming that truth, keep on coming back in repentance and resting in Jesus Christ, he comforts us with those words. Verse 58, he will live forever. Not because we're so righteous, but because he remains in us and we in him. Loved ones in Jesus, look at the different things that you're consuming. Whether it comes from the devil, the world, or your own flesh. What are the things that you're consuming? Do they feed your sinful nature with lies that undermine 
your confidence and assurance in who you are and whose you are. Jesus teaches us to set those aside. He has something better and more beautiful. Eat his body and blood. Consume the truths of the gospel and let them feed your soul. Now in hearing these words, some of Jesus' followers took this too literally. You can see that in verses 60 to 66. It's not necessarily that they thought that he meant they would be cannibals, though the language was disgusting to them even if they didn't. They would have even understood the metaphor, that, that word picture that he was using when he compared it to manna. And they would have seen a little bit of what he was saying with his body and blood as the miraculous daily provision of God from heaven. But how and what this would look like was just too confusing and too disgusting of a picture for them. They didn't understand the truth. They had no interest in it. And instead of consuming it, many of them walked away. Christ, on the other hand, said this privately to his disciples in verses 63 to 64. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. He teaches them to rest in the work of the Spirit. It's all about consuming or taking in, not physically, but by faith. In verse 63, Jesus makes that clear again. He says, the flesh confers no benefit whatever, but rather the things that he has been telling them are spiritual and life. You could summarize it with the words of Christ himself as you go back to verse 29 leading into this passage. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. As Augustine says, believe and you have eaten. So what is he teaching us to consume then? The truths that he has spoken in those three promises to those who believe. That we are a new people in him with a new destination. We can look ahead to eternity. That we are forgiven in the present and that we belong and that he remains in us and we remain in him. And that leaning on him we can be assured of new life in him now and eternal life after this one. This is the truth that you will be consuming as you take part in the Lord's Supper today or for you younger boys and girls, or those who have not done profession of faith, that you consider and take in spiritually. You'll be consuming not just bread and wine, not just pictures of Christ's body and blood, but you'll be consuming truth. He wants this for you, to give you assurance and peace. Is that not a beautiful thing? He wants this for you. Our catechism summarizes it in this way in our Lord's Day today. He wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs 
in remembrance of him. Praise the Lord. He sits you down today and he refocuses you again. He says, come, consume my flesh and my blood. Here at this table and hearing the words of the gospel again, you get assurance. Praise the Lord that today we get the chance to be reoriented, receiving truth and grace and Christ himself. Amen.